Hello, I'm Craig Constantine. And I'm Andrew Foster. And this is Parkour, they said. Andrew Foster is from Akron, Ohio. His childhood was steeped in classical music and philosophy, although he rebelled a little by dragging his mattress to the basement to learn flips when his parents weren't home. He studied international studies with a focus on the Middle East, which took him and his wife to Jordan, Egypt, and Morocco before coming full circle back to Akron. He's recently opened a parkour gym in the local community called Akron Movement Family. Along the way, he taught competitive gymnastics, failed badly at competitive soccer, and realized people and movement are his passions. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. So let's start with your childhood. That's the obvious place to begin. And just tell me a little bit about your home life and schooling. And Yeah. Um, well, I, w- I was homeschooled. Um, so my, my dad's a professor at a university and my mom, a homeschooled. I'm one of five kids. Um, I'm the oldest son. So different, kind of a different childhood than most people that I interact with. Um, it's always kind of a, it been an identity for a long time. I guess as I've gotten older, childhood fades away and it's not as much an identity as it used to be. Sure, but I used sure. to, people ask me who I was, I'd say like, oh, I'm a was a major feature. Kid. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, it was a, a lot of time spent, my parents taught me very early on that it's all about learning. It's all about gaining knowledge. Right. And school was not about grades. I never, I never even knew what my grades were. It was just about like, well, how much did you learn? What information did you get okay. out of it? So I did that a lot, just, just always reading, reading books, always um, just family dinner table conversations were like discussions about like philosophy or about like my dad's a scientist. So we're talking about like the detailed mechanics of like some scientific process or something. That's interesting. Yeah. So, uh, lots of that. And then, uh, my parents put a lot of value on music. So, um, we started music lessons really young. I started when I was six and playing classical piano for all the way through till I was a senior in high school and then took up viola lessons and then did like a quartet with my siblings and then you know played in an orchestra and was in a Brahms Lego music club okay. piano competition so how did you get from there to, <laughs> to, to here how did you yeah get yeah it's a bit of a switch I guess um I started my mom signed me up first for swim a swim team, which I was so upset about at the time. I was like, I don't want to do this. I don't have to wear Speedo. And <laughs> this is horrifying. <laughs> but <laughs> it was weird. I didn't, I wanted, I was hating it. And then I was loving it. I was the worst kid on the team. I was terrible. But something about that was like, also like I couldn't quit because I was- a challenge. Right? Like I was so bad, I couldn't quit. I had to prove myself. I had to like get better. So I might, I like went from being first year, I was worst kid on the team to second year, I was like, not the best, but I was best at one thing. And I was like, I'll take that. I'll I take can, that thing. You know. And from swimming leads you to yeah, soccer. Yeah, to soccer, yeah. And- I moved to soccer and uh, kind of the same story. I was terrible <laughs> at soccer, honestly. <laughs> uh, I did a tryout for a, for a premier team and I was not remotely good enough. I showed up without cleats. I, <laughs> I, I had like completely the wrong outfit on. I didn't even know what any of the terms were they were using. And like, yeah, we're going to cut ins. We're going to do a screen. You're like, what? Yeah. What like, yeah no idea. And I just complete, I, you would, it would be a complete embarrassment, but I just didn't know enough to be embarrassed. Just took I it just as a was challenge. Like, I was like, oh, I don't know. That's a great mindset. <laughs> so I was just like, coach, what can I do better? Like, how can I make it on the team? You know, he's like, well, working your foot skills. So I went home and spent a year juggling a soccer ball until I could do it a thousand times in a row. And I came back next year. It's like, okay, I can yeah. do it now. I'm in. You know, so, and they're like, well, you didn't, still not, yeah, don't know what you're doing. That's a small part of the... But the coach is like, yeah. all right, you're trying hard, so I'll let you on. But yeah, I definitely had this kind of like drive to be, yeah, being the underdog is something that motivates me. 
So in that whole experience of, of swimming and soccer and philosophy and classical piano, where does parkour come in all this? Uh, it, it sort of doesn't. I was forbidden from doing parkour. Oh. And my parents were really opposed to it. They viewed it as being uh, basically criminal activity. That The way they read it was, oh, you're jumping. You want to be jumping on roofs and that's illegal. So you can't do that. So it was not a part of my childhood really, except for when I would go on and would try and train with my brothers. We started jumping over a picnic table one day and spent a long time uh, just trying to like view vaults over a picnic table. Uh, and then there's a playground right by my parents' house where we would go and we would just try and do Became jumps. an outlet, right? Yeah, we would go over there every day and just and jump around and uh, enjoy moving. And it was a real, it was a real relief. Um, we're all very attached to that playground. It's like kind of our home in many ways. And it's still there. It's right around the corner. It is. It, it's been partially torn down. I, I put up as much of a protest as I could to the city when they did that and made a video and memorial and all these things. But still half of it's still there, enough to have fun. Mm. So that's something. So how did you go from being the underdog in sports to being the guy who founded the Miami University's men's gymnastics team? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of weird. I, I honestly, and it's weird saying it like that because I never even thought I was going to be doing that. And, and I didn't mean to, it just happened. But, uh, you know, a, a guy in my dorm walking down the hall one day freshman year was like, hey, anyone interested in going to the try out the gymnastics team. I was like, ooh, gymna I mean, I can't do gymnastics, but I've always wanted to do a backflip because I'll, I'll teach you a backflip, no problem. I'm like, okay, I'm in, let's go. We show up, he's like, and we walk in and it's all women. He's like, oh yeah, it's a women's team. I was like, wait. <laughs> That's when you discover that they're not actually allowed to tell men that they're not allowed to join. Yep, no, no rule against that technically. So I paid my dues and I was on the women's team. <laughs> and uh, I was hooked. I got the flip bug. I couldn't quit. I just started, you know, no coach or anything. I just taught myself, but I... Go in every day and, and try. And of course, the guy who hooked you gave up after three weeks because it didn't hold his interest. And yeah, he's long gone, <laughs> he's and long I'm gone there by myself, <laughs> literally over in a corner of the gym, just like, "Am I in anyone's way? I'm gonna, I'm gonna try things over here." <laughs> so yeah, I started going to competitions, and I just, uh, I try, and I had a rule: I had to try a new skill every every meet on everything. So I'd ask guys, the yeah. guy in front of me, be like, "Hey, uh, so uh, how do how'd you do that? What was that move you did? Because right? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna try that in a second. And there, I'm pretty tips. sure there's an unwritten rule in gymnastics that says you're not supposed to try new moves at the competition, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, nobody does that. They were so confused. The judges are like looking Where's at me. Where's the one? How do I give a one point five? Right I get, yeah, I, I got a one point five. I, that happened. That's really low. <laughs> but I, I tried. I, I something about yeah. I was so bad again. I was so bad that I couldn't quit. I was like, I gotta I gotta get better. I gotta try. Yeah, and but passionate, and passion is the thing that I, that I'm picking up in all of our conversations. Is that you wind up being so passionate about it, and that everybody else is just like, "Well, that looks like fun," even though you're not doing so good. <laughs> yeah, no, like I went to gymnastics meet. It was honestly terrible, but I was having so much fun. I didn't care. Like it would have been like a joke, but it was so fun. Like people would be like, "Hey, he's like really yeah. enjoying." What that. can you accomplish when you actually don't care about winning? <laughs> Why you can have a lot of fun and you can grow and learn a lot. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I um, I'm never. I'm always a guy. If I'm doing something, I do it a hundred percent. So I don't really usually do things halfway in most anything in life. I guess. So at college, how did you get into Arabic studies and and wind up in Jordan? Yeah, well, uh, I had to take a language from my major, um, international studies, and and I also had to pick a focus. So I picked a focus on the Middle East, and I picked Arabic just. I guess I have kind of a fascination with that area and 
had always been interested in it. And then my professor, my Arabic professor was from Jordan. And one thing led to another and I ended up in a study abroad program um, to, to study Arabic at the University of Jordan for a summer. Um, so I went over there for a, a two month, you know, intensive Arabic program and kind of fell in love with it over there and ended up telling my professor at the end of two months, I was like, hey, uh, you know how we have a flight tomorrow? Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to be not, on that. I'm not going to get on it. Uh, I, yeah, I dropped out of college for a year and I, I lived in the Middle East and um, stayed there and I, I loved it. I, I loved the language. I loved the culture. I loved the food. I loved the people. It was, it was amazing. So while you were in Egypt, I understand that you surreptitiously fell into a parkour jam and, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah kind of crazy. It, I mean, it, like I said, it's just one of those things that happens. I went out to this park um, to train and, uh, you know, it was there for a few minutes training. And then I see a guy out of the corner of my eye do something like a jump and I'm like, oh, I got, oh, got to check precision. that out. I said, that was like a precision. I see baggy sweatpants. I go running over there and there's a group of guys that are jamming. They got like, you know, some hip hop beats playing in their break dancing. They got a little kicker. They're chucking side flips. And you know, like, it, you know, five minutes later, I'm home. I'm with family. Yeah, like we're all training. Walks up and says hello and does a backflip and in like yeah. that. Right? Oh yeah. Like it's awesome. You don't even need to speak the same language. I mean, I spoke Arabic, but nonetheless, it's just like you start training together and you know, I, you know, we train that day and then at the end of the day, they're like, okay, meet back here tomorrow, another training session. I'm like, yes, all right. <laughs> I'm in and then they're like, more people show up the next day and then we're training and one dude pulls out a cell phone and he's talking on the phone and he's like, hey, you want to meet Danny Labaka? I was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wouldn't we all? Right? Wouldn't we all have to meet Danny? He's like, no, for real, Danny Labaka has a jam tomorrow. It's like, what? <laughs> Wait, where? I just here? happened to be in Egypt right now. Yeah, it was I'm crazy. I mean, that, Danny's always traveling all over, I guess, but... It was so cool. Yeah. Next thing I know, I'm in a taxi and then like, we're like cruising through a market and there's donkeys everywhere. And we're like, and, and then like, we're at this jam and the whole parkour community from the whole city of Cairo shows up and Danny's there and everybody's jamming. It was amazing. It was such a cool experience to see the community, like the whole community show up and everyone's so excited. And I mean, Danny is such an inspirational figure for so many people. That's also cool. Like, you know, I'm on we grew up on other sides of the world, but these guys view Danny kind of the same way. Like, it's like, it's you, I know nothing about your life and you know nothing about mine, but we have the same person that's been a huge inspiration. Yeah, common us. inspiration, right? You know, they're like, oh, Danny Labaka. I'm like, yeah, Danny Labaka. <laughs> and they're like, choose not to fall. I'm like, choose not <laughs> to fall. Right. Yes. Yeah, it was great. So that was a huge, it was a huge, I mean, Danny has been a huge inspiration for me. Um, growing up, even, I remember showing my parents his, some of his videos trying to convince them that parkour was a good idea. Um, where he's talking about how it's, it's changed his and influenced his life. And, and so getting to meet him, I was like, I took a picture with him. I was like, sorry to be that guy, but I got to take a picture to show my brothers. They're never going to believe I met you. But yeah. And then I got to, he invited me to have dinner with him and we got to talk and, you know, it, I, I feel like he's such a, he's like a, like a sage or a guru sort of like, you don't talk to him for very long before he's like picking you apart. He looks over at me and he's like, hey, Andrew, uh, training with you, like, I'm, I just see something. You've got this potential, but you're not realizing it. I'm like, wait, what? And he's like, I watched you running up to that precision and you're stutter stepping. He's like, stop looking ahead and thinking ahead. You need to be in the moment. Each step, have your mind in the moment. I didn't even know he's watching me. And he's like, he's like breaking me down <laughs> in as a person. one glance, right? <laughs> yeah. So the obvious question is, why are you not still in the Middle East today? 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I thought I would be, that was the dream. You know, I had this vision of my life and what I was doing. I thought I'd, I'd move there. I'd fallen in love with the culture. I, you know, I talked to my opportunities wife to help people out, you know? Yeah. I wanted to, to start an, you know, maybe a nonprofit or something doing helping like, especially kids in difficult situations, maybe in Palestine or something. But, um, yeah, it, it all, it all kind of fell apart. Um, and long story short, I just, I ended up back in the U S um, and kind of feeling like I'd lost everything. I'd lost my plan. I'd lost my vision for what I thought my life was going to be. I'd lost this purpose that I had. I'd, I'd kind of lost relationships. I'd made promises to guys over there. I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to come back. I'm going to open this gym. We're going right. to start and this thing. You had to walk away from that. Right. And I, yeah. And I felt, I felt crushed. And then coming back, I'd spent all my money. I, my car had broken down. I, I, you know, we'd gotten rid of our apartment, my wife and I had. And so I had nowhere to live. I had no money. I had no possessions. I'd, I'd given away the last of my money I could before we left the Middle East thinking I was coming back and getting a job. And, and then I, you know, I didn't have my job anymore. I'd quit that. And <laughs> like it all, it all really like tumbled down and fell apart. And I ended up feeling really lost. And I, and I ended up, my brother and I kind of in a moment of desperation and just kind of yeah, journey, right? The quest. Yeah, just kind of like, I don't know what else to do. We get in a pickup truck and we started driving west. Um, you know, took a road map with us and that's it. And just see, let's see where we end up and see see what happens. And um, we drove and we just kept driving until we got to Colorado. And I don't know, something about the mountains, I guess. But we drove there and we ended up driving up into the mountains and parking the truck on the side of the road and just kind of turning around and looking up and be like, all right, which, uh, let's, let's climb that one, <laughs> which it honestly is a terrible idea. Yeah. If anyone, to anyone out there listening, that's not the way to climb a mountain. Um, but <laughs> weather forecast <laughs> and we did it late in the evening. So we was this grueling climb up this mountain with rocks falling and, you know, nearly dying on cliffs that we should not no business being on and get to the top. And it was sunset. It was like, Terrible idea, but one of those adventures where it ends yeah, up perfect. Could not have planned it better. Yeah, and uh, you know, my brother and I are up there, um, coming up over the crest, and you know, there's like maybe a half mile left to go, and it's kind of like it's snow at this point, like snow and these you know, wildflowers is the beginning of summer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know what happened. I don't know why I'm saying this on a on a podcast. <laughs> I I took all my clothes off and I just like ran naked up the rest of the mountain. I, I felt like it was this moment and it was the right thing to do somehow. Like it was this, I don't know if it was a metaphor for myself or it was, it was just how I was feeling that I had, I had nothing left. Catharsis, right? You know, like I, I had, and, and on top of it all, I guess I didn't mention my knee was injured at this point. Um, so I was, I couldn't do parkour either. And that's the thing I wanted to be doing. And so I had nothing. I was like, okay, well, might as well take my clothes off too. I guess I got nothing left. So I ran up this mountain naked and was at the top and I come up over the crest and the sun setting and just everything's lit up. It's all golden. And there's just like the Rockies spread out, this mountains, as far as you can see, you feel like you're on the top of the world and the sky's so big when you're up there, you know, like you've, I don't know, you here in Ohio, you drive through trees and buildings and whatnot. And the sky's kind of this blue thing up there, but yeah, overhead, not get, all around. Yeah. You get on top of a mountain. You're like, no, the, the sky's like kind of almost to your feet. Like it, you're just in this huge dome of the universe mm-hmm. and you feel so small. And uh, yeah, just looking out at it all, I, I just kind of threw my fist to the sky and 
let out a yell of I don't know of, of anger, frustration, of hurt. Like the final fling, the yeah, final, the, the the last bit of uh, thing you were holding on to, just you know, shaking my fist at God and saying, "Why? Like, why? Why is this? Why am I here? Why have I lost everything?" You know, um, and uh, it's weird because I at that moment was like kind of rock bottom for me, but it's also the beginning of of uh, of uh, of moving up of of a change. Yeah, the, the new journey from from there. You have two choices. You have, yeah, you have the dark abyss on one side, <laughs> literally, and then you have the journey that you chose. Yeah, I did. I felt like I had a, a choice, and I had to look and and choose. Do I go into nothingness? I give up. I quit. You know, I walk off the cliff ahead of me. I just run off it, and scream, and that's it. Or, or do I accept that? Okay, like everything's been taken from me, but it was never mine to begin with. You know. We come from dust and we return to dust. We don't have anything except what we're given. And those are, it's a gift. Life is a gift. Everything, every breath I have is a gift. Um, every step I take is a gift. If I, if I only get to train parkour one more time in my life, that's a gift. It's not, it's not a horrible thing. It's a beautiful thing. You know, if I'm paralyzed tomorrow, you know, I still have been given so much. So I guess I, I it kind of like hit in that moment, I had so much clarity of realizing. I've been looking at life backwards this whole time. I'd been putting my motivation, finding my motivation in and putting my hope in all these things that I had, all these like parkour right. abilities. Everything's, everything's anchored in the future that way. If you're, yeah. If you're always thinking. My plans for what I thought I was going to do with my life, how I thought things were going to pan out and all these things and realizing, and it's, yeah, it's funny thinking back to the Daniel Baca's words to me about, you know, stop focusing on the future. You're stutter stepping. You're losing your strength. I was I was running up to a precision jump and I I couldn't hit it because I wasn't putting my power into each moment, each step. I was looking ahead of the jump. And it's so true. In that moment, I guess I kind of hit that point of realizing that I can't put my hope in all these other things because they all pass away eventually. Sure, you lose there's no them. guarantee. Um, and so I had to find something else to to live for. Um, and I and I. I chose I chose life, you know, between the two choices, the darkness of the abyss and 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 I think faith or hope or or something. I chose that. I said, "Okay. I I'm going to believe that that I, you know, I think God has a purpose for me, that there's some value for my life, that there's something that I was worth living for, and I just have to try and seek that out and find what it is." So, you know, I put my clothes back on and had a snowball fight with my brother and, and drove back. That's the perfect ending. Yeah, absolutely. I bet there was a snowball fight. Yep, there was. There was a snowball fight. But yeah, I came back, came back to Ohio and uh, decided, okay, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be here now here. for my family, for my community. and, and Yeah, and not, not for myself and not for my plans and not right. for what I thought I was going to be doing. I'm, I'm, that's, it was weird. It was a weird moment. It's all gone. So now it's a blank slate. I'm just, I'm here. What do I do? And I feel like the answer that, was, that I got was love people. You know, I mean, you're here in this place. Like, why live here? Why not live somewhere else? It's not for the weather and it's not for you know, the, the training spots or it's not for, you know, any of these other reasons. Like I'm ultimately, yes, sometimes it's, um, it's easy to fall back on and get complacent and say, oh, I live in this place and the sunset is gorgeous every day. And, and there are all these things. And, and in some ways, um, the living in an environment where you don't have any assistance, where things are just 
natural, just normal, that sort of requires you to like rise to the occasion. You have to find the meaning in yeah. the moments. Yeah, I, I definitely was like, okay, I, I've said I'm in this place, so what do I do in this place? And I guess there's people here and there's beautiful people here, you know, and they have value. I believe that they're created with a inherent value, you know, mm-hmm. that each person is unique and beautiful. And so I felt, I felt kind of this calling to devote myself to that, that I should, in as much as I had lost everything else to live for, that I'd found a purpose in living for, for love, you know, that I, that I, th- I found that, you know, I feel that I've, I've been loved, you know, that moment of realizing like I've been given so much. Yeah. Look at everything I have. Everything's been taken away, but I still have all of this. Right? Yeah. And the, the gift of the, if nothing else breathing, you know, I've been given this gift. So in return, as much as I've been loved by God, how can I love others? So that really started digging me into the idea of like community here, like in this look in this place with these people, like, yeah. how can I, how can I be a good father? How can I be a good husband? How can I be a good community member? Well, you know, what, what would that look like? Right. Yeah. How can I do that? And, and even if it's hard, even if, um, even if it's not, you know, sometimes I feel like it's people don't, people aren't participating or they're even fighting me in a way. Like <laughs> sometimes people hurt you in relationships. Sometimes you're trying, I feel like I'm trying to build a community and people are almost like, like fighting against me in that. But <laughs> I think that's part of it. You know, I think that's part of loving people is being able to take whatever they throw at you. You know? Right. So when you decide to actually create um, a space like the um, Akron Movement family, and and then you you're automatically going to face this contention because your normal community members are outdoor parkour people. They've been in parks, they've been on sidewalks, and the standard things we think of. And now you're saying to them, "I'm going to make this space, and we're going to train here." And in my experiences, I've seen a lot of struggle with people trying to bring their community indoors, and they tend to resist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's resistance. I think I've been told that those are really two separate communities, and. I'm finding the truth of that as it as I've tried to um, start a community and then be a gym owner. I, I had this vision at the beginning. I thought the way it was going to work is I was going to build this community, and and it was happening. I was seeing this community build. I had this sort of tight knit group of guys we would train like every day, and there was it was growing. People were adding on to it. I think people kind of saw the beauty in that group and wanted wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that kind of it kind of faded a little bit and, and people moved away and things happened. And, and then, um, I ended up with the opportunity to start this gym. And I thought I had th- always thought that I would have built an outdoor community first and that we would have this tight knit group. And then we'd all come together and we'd like make it happen. Create this anchor point around which our community yeah. will then grow outward. Right. Yeah. I had this vision. I, I remember seeing footage from, uh, Australia of the, Al's gang parliament, I think it was those guys, they had a gym and it was like in a garage and with a bunch of janky stuff and like right. tiny little place and like everything's grimy and everything's a mess. And I was like, yeah, that's yeah, what I want. It's a tool. It's literally you a know, tool that accomplishes their goal. It's not shiny. I was like, if, if it's that, then you know, it's all heart. It's right. no money. It's no like business. You know, that's what I wanted. Cause I don't want to be a businessman, you know, but uh, yeah, it, it didn't really work that way. You know, I thought that the community would come together and all do this together, but I found that it's it's hard and it's you have to fight through sometimes on your own, you know, and that outdoor community comes and goes and they they do their thing, but starting the parkour gym is really starting a new community. 
And and we've had to sort of kind of start over from square one, trying to find people, find the people that we know are out there that would love this and would want to be a part of it and do it. I guess uh, thinking about trying to live out what I, this new realization I had or this new sort of purpose is um, it all started with uh, with coming up with a name and, and a reason for what I was doing. And that ended up being Akron Movement Family. And I put a lot of thought into that name um, because I, I wanted it to represent what I was trying to do and what I wanted to be and who I wanted to right. to help. Um, and so my sister and I, we were training together a lot at this point and um, decided to try and work together on this project. Um, and we, talking things through and thinking about it, we really wanted it to be about community. We wanted the heart of it to be community. So we feel like the name had to be local, right. you know? So Akron is, is had to be part, had to be in there. And then um, we wanted it to be about movement. Um, I think I started to realize that movement is so central to life. Um, it's, it's a strange thing because it, it seems like an abstract thought movement. What like what is movement or why do we move? But it seems to be the heart. Yeah, it seems to be deeply ingrained in the human experience. Yeah, you, you, you go to places and you you do some work on bars with people and people that you don't know, maybe no common language. In a split second, you can tell whether they're comfortable or whether they're uncomfortable with bars. Is this the first time they've had their feet on a bar? And and there's just so much in movement. It's it's very intimate and very human. So, yeah, I I became. I, I sort of had this this thought I went through and became really fascinated with the idea that I think movement is is life. Movement is life, you know, in in so many different layers. Both that it's it's you know kind of the definition of life. You know, the cell at a cellular level, like moving a moving cell is living. You know, whether that's a tree or that's a an animal or that's a human, that's life. But then also thinking about water. I mean. Tracers often talk about, you know, the, the Bruce Lee quote, you know, flow right. like water. But I think there's like even something more to that, which is so cool. In um I my dad made a comment one time about moving water, the sound of moving water being so beautiful. And it started me thinking, like, well what is it about that? Why yeah, why like why on the moving water? <laughs> Everyone loves a river. I don't know, but people love water, but you know, water is you know, water is the basis of life. We die without water, but moving water is life. Stagnant, yeah, stagnant water. water, probably not a good thing. It's death. You know, you yeah. drink that, you're getting some kind of disease or something. You know, that's basic like survival yeah. skills. You know, and so we find beauty and we find life and purpose in living in moving living water. And then, you know, if you don't move, you're dead. And I think that applies to us as humans, like how we live our lives, whether that is in relationships or that that's just being physically, physically, obviously. Like you know, are you just sitting all day? Are we just sitting in your car? Like, how, you know, yeah, what are you doing? We've found ways to sit while moving. <laughs> yeah, we have. I, somehow we managed to do that. And we got to get back to the point of remembering that if you're not moving, you're dying. You know, you sit long enough, you'll die literally from sitting. You know, your body will fall apart. It rots, it rots away, you know. And the same's true as for me, like as a, as a person, like, am I moving somewhere? Am I, am I progressing? Am I growing? Am I maturing? Or am I stagnating? Am I sitting still and and rotting in place? You know, and so I think we have to be moving. And Akron Movement Family needs to be about that. It needs to be about movement. Um, 
but also, you know, the third part of the name is family. And, uh, I, I was really motivated by different experiences through my life and really caring about kids and wanting to see a community that could be that could be a family to people as you know, the more I live, the longer I live, the more I see that everyone's struggling with something. And, uh, just because you meet a kid that's got a smile on their face doesn't mean they're not going through something right. horrible at home, right. you know? And I and my sister and I really came up with this this vision to p- create a place where kids and adults um, could come and have a space where they were safe and where they were loved, where they knew they were loved and cared about, you know? And um, that, that they would feel, whether they had this anywhere else in their life or not, that they would feel they had a family and a family being people that love and care for them and are, are going to be faithful to them, you know, and be there for them as whatever they're going through. And so Akron Movement Family was my attempt at trying to begin that vision, you know. And the final question in three words to describe your practice? Three words. I think that I would say movement. Um, and I've talked about that a little bit, but just the the value in the 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 dr- deep and raw nature of like how connected we as humans are in a movement um and then i would say love i think that if you're not moving with love that you're you're not really experiencing the full depth of of movement and what it can be and i i move i like the quote from a famous runner eric little who was the first man to run a four a sub four minute mile? And he said about when asked about his running, he said he he runs to feel the pleasure of God. And I think that the meaning of that may be confusing, but that it's this idea that um, there is a deep value and purpose in doing things beautifully and doing them lovingly. And uh, so I want to move when I train. I want to move with love towards others towards myself, towards God. Um, and then my third word would be family. My family has meant a lot to me. I started I started parkour with my brothers and sister. I've always trained with them, but also the family and, and a bigger concept of the community. Then my hope and my dream is that you could come back to Akron Movement Family in a couple of years and you would walk in and find that there's a family here, a family of community that has come together around parkour and trains together, but more than trains together that we care about each other, that we love each other, that we support each other and are here for each other. Thank you very much, Andrew. Thank you. And of course, there's a website. Visit parkour.theysaid.world for this episode's notes and transcript. The site also has writing from people around the world and everything is available in a dozen languages. (laughs) 